Hello and welcome to a new episode of View from the Sideline. Coming up this week, we have talking points from this weekend's football. I've got Wonders of White and Liam is going to test my knowledge with a Chelsea quiz in a special edition. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to this latest edition of View from the Sideline podcast. It's Chris here and Liam is with me as always. Hello, Liam. Good evening, Chris. How are you doing? I'm all right. Yourself? Yeah, I've had a good weekend football-wise. Big, big smiles all round for it. both of us. Yeah. We matched, matched uh, each other's uh, scoreline. So um, I couldn't quite believe your one, though, if I'm honest. No. <laughs> Um, uh, we hadn't been Southampton for a long, long time, especially at Villa Park. So, um, yeah, I doing well as well. So, doing very well. Yeah. Okay. So, first up is um, this uh, weekend's talking points. Um, so, we are going to touch base on um, Newcastle Arsenal, and then we're going to take a look at what happened between Manchester City and Manchester United as well in the um, Manchester derby. Um, so first up with um, Newcastle, we're just going to talk about sort of the recent results under Eddie Howe um, and, you know, how well they've actually been playing. Um, and when I was looking into this earlier, um, Newcastle actually haven't lost this year. Um, so I was quite surprised by that. And I don't know why I was surprised, but they keep winning either way. But then it got me thinking about sort of Eddie Howe joins and then sort of the money comes in and then the players come in and it's kind of like is it something that Eddie Howe is is doing with um, the the old players as well as the new players because I don't know about you Liam but I find that the old players for Newcastle who were there sort of you know been there for the last 18 months have really stepped up their game recently yeah. um and it it kind of makes you think that do you think they're worried that they you know that they could easily be replaced in the summer so they so they are starting to fight for their actual place in the team I um, think so I think it could be, but I also think um, the player who's really turned it around for me for Newcastle, I think, has been Ryan Fraser, who looked really good, especially the last sort of three or four games that he's played in. He was a menace against Villa, to be honest. I know he didn't score, but he's he's got a couple recently. And I think it's just a case of an old manager and player coming back, because we all know what you do at Bournemouth when Eddie Howe was there got his big money move away to Newcastle and then hasn't really done much but now joining his old manager he obviously knows how to get the best out of of Fraser and and it seems to be working so I think there's an element of that there is probably an element that now all the players know (laughs) they could buy a replacement for me tomorrow yeah you know 40 50 million pound and it, it, it wouldn't affect their bank statement at all uh so they are probably playing for places in that team but I do think um, there was a genuine worry that they were going to go down for a while and that can affect any team's morale, I think. So to get a couple of wins and to really pull away, now they seem, they know that they're safe. Now they seem to be playing with a bit more freedom. Yeah, because I think you would definitely say now that they are almost out of contention for relegation now. 
um, especially if they keep playing the way that they're playing and, and you know, pick up points. But um, looking sort of, I think they've got 10 or 11 games left, but they have still got to play um, Chelsea, Tottenham, Liverpool, um, Man City, Arsenal, Leicester, Wolves and Southampton. So <laughs> they have pretty much got to play 75% of, of you know, the, 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 top, the current top 10, which isn't going to be easy, but it will be a good test for them to see where they actually are. Um, because you look at the players that they bought in, you know, Gamirez, Burn, Wood, um, Target, he obviously know quite well. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of safe players. They, they weren't, you know, they've not spent huge amounts, you know, on one player in, in January. They kind of spread the money out a little bit. And I think Dan Burns been probably one of the, the better signings that they made. You know, he's, he's definitely, I think he was the one that everyone probably questioned at the time saying, you know, is he good enough to, to, to keep sort of, um, Newcastle up? But, I'd say of all the all the new players that they've got, his performances, you know, at the back, and, and you can tell because they're not conceding half as many goals as what they were since he joined. Mm. Yeah, I think he's been a big plus for them. But like you say, they they maybe didn't spend as much as people were expecting to. I think from a player's point of view, perhaps they were waiting to see whether Newcastle stayed up before mm. joining. But the players that they've Signed. I know Trippier's now injured, but he did well in the in the games before he got injured. The other players that they've signed have done well, but with players like Fraser. And the one who surprised me is Joe Linton. And I know that Steve Bruce sort of dropped him back into <laughs> midfield, but he seems like an entirely new player. It's like it is like that they've bought a, a new midfielder. And um, <laughs> as well, he's done really yeah. well. Him and, like, him and Shelby, him and Shelby have you know have, have done well together. One of the biggest comebacks in football because he was the laughing stock for such a long time. And if there was anyone in that team that I would say wouldn't suit a central midfield or attacking midfield yeah. position, it would be him. But his work rate makes it pay off. And he's been like a new signing for them. Praise has been like a new signing for them. So although they haven't spent that much money, yeah, I think it's sort of rejuvenated the squad a little bit. And, um, you do have to give Eddie Howe yeah. of, uh, respect for that. I did think it was a good signing at the time, bringing him in. And he's sort of gone on to, to prove that. But um, it will be interesting now, like you say, tough running. But it will be a good test to see where their ambitions actually are. Yeah. And it be interesting to see what they do over the summer, because I imagine they will spend big. And, and if they are a Premier League team, which I expect them to be, I'm sure there'll be a lot of interest from good players joining them well they're definitely yeah well, de- they definitely have the money to spend on wages um but i think i think it, like you said it's going to be a good test to see sort of when they do come up against you know liverpool and chelsea and man city you know how they perform especially the players that like i said have been there for you know a while now can can they step up against these big teams because you know, I guess from a Newcastle point of view and an owner's point of view, you know, Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool, that's where they want Newcastle to be probably within the next, you know, three or four seasons. Um, but I guess... What their target is for next season. Cause yeah. If they survive, but they're in the bottom half this year, it's not going to come overnight. Uh, yeah. And if they do spend big, are they going to want immediate returns on that? Are they going to want European football next year? I mean, it didn't happen for Man City straight away. 
it took them a few years to gradually work their way up before they were consistently at the top. So um, I think they'll have to be a little bit patient, but I do think they'll attract some big names in the summer. Definitely. So we'll um, we'll, we'll move on now from from Newcastle, and um, you've got some some notes on um, Arsenal. Yeah, I just wanted to um, have a little uh, dive into Arsenal's push on the top four because. Myself included, I, I basically never saw this coming from the start of the season. The very, very <laughs> I remember when, yeah, yeah, yeah right it, it looked for all the world as though it was going to be a mid-table finish. I thought Arteta was on his way out. Um, they stuck with him, and you know it was a bit of a strange decision. They were obviously having a few issues off the field with players like Aubameyang, and they're players now that they seem to have kicked out. Obviously, Aubameyang's gone on to Barcelona. Um, so in getting rid of some of those troublemakers, it seems like they've become more of a team again, and the form has sort of reflected that. Uh, Smith Rose looked really consistent. And in fact, like a, a, a majority of the team is actually young English players, which I think is great for the national side. Um, and they seem to have shored up their defence with White, Tommy Asu, Ramsdale's been good as well. Um, but I just wanted to sort of have a look. Obviously, they're they're in the top four at the moment. I, I fancy they'll stay there, mostly because the teams around them are, are having a bit of a bad spell. Man United, for example. Um, but when you look at pound for pound or like player for player, what a good job Arteta's actually done there because they're nowhere near the same level of quality as Chelsea, Liverpool, City, and yet they're up there. I think we've got to give him a bit of credit, especially for turning it around. Um, yeah, yeah, it's not the not the free flowing Arsenal of old, but he's he's given them an identity back. Well, they're definitely playing a lot better from what they did at the start of the season, because, like you said, I, I don't think anyone would have seen them going anywhere near the top four from how they started, and probably Arteta at that time was probably only one two games away from actually being sacked, you know, and at the time. You know, a, a lot of Arsenal fans were were calling for him to go, and and you know, to, for them to get someone new in. But he's he's turned it around. Like you said, they've got some really good young English players, um, like Saka, who's you know his performances with Smith Rowe as well have been you know very very good. And they've got, I think they've got three games in hand on Manchester United, and I think if they won all three of those games, they'd only be a couple of points behind Chelsea. So. It's not even out of the realm to think that they could actually finish third. And you know, if he if he gets Arsenal into the Champions League with with the squad that they've got, when you look at the squad and you look at their sort of striker options, they are very very limited. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've got Lacazette, and that's that's pretty much it to be fair. And he's off in the summer as well, so that yeah. you know. They are at a sort of a crossroads now where they're, they're not known to splash, you know, huge amounts of money. Um, and he's, you know, Arteta's done a, a brilliant job in getting that squad, um, because I rightly say, I, you know, that squad is not up there in terms of probably top four, but, you know, they will have to spend money in the summer on players because it's likely that they are going to be playing in the Champions League. Yeah, um, I think they'll need, looking at their team now, I, I know 
obviously you're right, if they win their games in hand, they're, they're right behind Chelsea. But you wouldn't have many, if any at all, Arsenal players in that Chelsea squad. No. You're a Chelsea yeah. fan, so you're, you're biased. But <laughs> I wouldn't naturally pick any of Arsenal's players and say they would improve Chelsea's squad. Certainly not Liverpool or Man City. And yet, you know, they're up there challenging for them. I, I do think you're right. They are going to need investment if they're going to uh, stay at that level. I think they lack a little bit in midfield. Uh, they need a, a sort of... I'm going to go back. I'm going to do an Arsenal fan now and say they need a Vieira type in midfield, like a Gilberto Silva. I think they are lacking that. And like you say, striker-wise, Lacazette is off. Aubameyang has already gone, so they're going to be looking for someone. It's just who they're going to attract because I because think they've got in the same pool as as Newcastle, looking at players next season. And obviously, Man City are probably going to be after a striker as well, as they don't have one at the moment. It's going to be a bit of a it's going to be a bit of a tough time for them to get a top name in when there's going to be so much competition. Yeah, I, you know, for me, I, I, to be fair, with Newcastle's spending power, and, you know, even if Arsenal get in the Champions League, I think Arsenal and Newcastle are probably going to be fighting for, for roughly the same sort of player. Um But I think we can agree that, you know, Arteta has done you know, an incredible job really to turn it around. Um and, and he's got he's got Arsenal playing good again. You know, that you know, yeah. they're playing some half decent football. I know, you know, against Watford it, it they played well, um, but they were they've always been known to be a bit leaky at the back at, at times, but you know, we're not talking about them last season when they're David Louise. He was like a head. He was like a headless chicken. Sometimes he's, just, I, I, you know, but you know Ben White's come in and, and they've definitely conceded less goals with him playing. And like you said, Tommy Asu as well. Um, but you know they are a genuine threat. I, you know, it's 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 bad to say really. You know, five six months ago, if you if you were playing Arsenal at the weekend, you could almost think to yourself, well, this is, you know, this is going to be an easy game, but. You know, he's got them working for him now and, you know, there's obviously a level of trust within that squad and I think, like you said, maybe getting rid of Aubameyang was probably a blessing in disguise um, because obviously he seemed to have undermined the manager a little bit um, and he he probably stayed a little bit longer than what he should have, so, but, you know, I, I I think they'll finish fourth and I yeah, never I, thought I'd say that at the start of the season. No. I, if if I was at the start of the season, if I gave a prediction, I would not have predicted them to be four. So I think Villa you know, did a good job. I think have played them about tenth or eleventh game of the season. Obviously, they've had a really bad start, and I was really disappointed when we lost to them. Yeah, I thought they're really struggling, and I think they'd gone five games without a win, and I really thought we could compound the misery, and they outplayed us. And I was really disappointed and I thought that was a really bad game to lose. But now I look at the table and I think, you know, <laughs> comfortably four <Fair> <laughs> to, to lose, you know, yeah, against them, you, you've got to give them credit. So, yeah, yeah, they've turned it around really well and it's not very often, it's not very often a manager gets a chance to do that as well. So credit to the board for sticking with him. I think he was maybe one or two games away from being sacked. But, you know, <clears throat> they didn't bow to fan pressure. They stayed with him and they're getting the rewards. So, you know, fair play to them. 
Okay, so from um, Arsenal, we're, we're going to move on to um, an actual game that happened at the weekend, the Manchester derby. Um, and the, <laughs> um, I think, you know, you know, Man City, for me, Man City are going to win the league. I, I can't see them not winning the league now. Um, but it's mainly, I think, the, the, the talking points on this one are going to be around Manchester United. Um, they're big players. So they're Fernandes, they're, you know, the, they're Pogba. They are not turning up for these big games at the moment. And you, you're seeing 50% you know, positivity from Pulper when he's playing. You're seeing probably about 70% from Fernandez, And there's so much that's going, that seems to be going on in and around that club and, and maybe behind the scenes. And the rumours around what, what happened to Ronaldo at the weekend, uh, you know, are flying around, whether that's just because they lost, you know, 4-1. Mm. But the the contrast from the first half to the second half I just can't fathom what's happened at halftime because first half they gave it a real good go and mm. you know they they were closing down you know they were making it difficult for Man City to break and for them to you know play the ball in and around the United half and when they were going forward they were going forward with numbers and they looked dangerous and then second half I'm seeing that they had three touches in Manchester yeah. City's box, uh, yeah, which, which is just—you just can't figure out what's happened at halftime for it to go from they looked fairly decent for a half to they weren't in the game at all. Heads were were dropped, and they were just getting worse and worse throughout the game. So, is it that they're not being led properly? By say the manager, by the captain, are they? You know, is there no leadership on that pitch with Maguire? I don't know. I don't know. Do, do they not trust the man? This new manager? Do they not trust Harry Maguire? It just looks like that you've got eleven individuals on the pitch who literally met that second half. It was like they literally met, you know, in the changing rooms for the first time, and. You've got players like Rashford in, you know, on the bench who comes on and literally does nothing. Mm. And last season and the season before that and the season before that, he was the best thing that Manchester United had. Yeah. And now, you know, I'm not saying it's because of Ronaldo, but since Ronaldo's been there, it's like Rashford is a different place. Head's completely dropped. And you've got to look at it and think, is he actually going to make the Eng- the next England team? Oh, I don't because think he does. I'm I don't think he will. I, no. I honestly don't think he will. No, I, I don't know don't. what you think about it, but I'd... well, I think if you look at, I'm 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 going to look back at United teams of old and yeah. the successful ones under Fergie, and then even arguably the most successful since was probably under Mourinho. It, it was all built around. Solid defence, and then you've got your flair players up up the top to get you that one or two goals you need in the game to win one or two nil. You look back at the you know the, the treble winning side with your Yapstams and Gary Neville's, Dennis Irwin's, even your later on with your Vidic and Ferdinand and, and all those kind of players. 
you had that back line. You knew what back line was going to play. They would all play together for a long time. And I look at this defence now and I see Wan-Bissaka, who's had a, a terrible year. There, I mean, 12 months, 12, 18 months ago, people were saying what great depth we've got at right back that Wan-Bissaka can't even get a game. Now he can't get a game because his form is awful. He's, he just looks like he doesn't care. Maguire is making so many mistakes at the moment. I think the pressure is on him, like you say. You've got a lot of leaders in that dressing room that are potentially saying different things, and he is the captain. He he should yeah. be the point of authority, and maybe he feels like he's not at the moment. But he's making errors himself. De Gea doesn't really stand a chance when the defence in front of him are playing the way that they're playing at the moment. They just don't look like they care, but it does start from the front. Like you say, the pressure that was on Man well, it was non-existent. You saw, I mean, I saw the stat for like a 15-minute period in the second yeah, half. Yeah. Like that. Can you imagine if that statistic came up when Fergie was in charge? Like, the whole team yeah. would be so scared to go in at half-time or at the end of the game. But they just don't look like they care. I don't. I think you're right. For me, they've got a lot of players in there that when a team is playing well, they look good in it. Pogba, in a team that plays well, will look like the best player or one of the best players. You look at him in the France team, when France play well, he is inevitably a key. Fernandes, I think, is the same. When United were playing well last season, he was a big part of it. Ronaldo has obviously come in. I'm guessing he, and he has every right because of what he's achieved, he wants to be the big player, the number one. When Perhaps he's getting a little bit too old now. It might have caused some friction. Mm. But you look at Ronaldo's stats this year, he doesn't have anything to back that up because he's when he has played, he's not looked bothered either. So that, to me, says there's something seriously wrong in the background. And where these leaks are coming from, I've no idea. But there's obviously there's no smoke without fire. And I think it wouldn't have just come out of thin air that these no. are problems behind the scenes. And... Um, I don't know whether putting an interim coach in the first. I don't think it was the right. No, I think they need someone there with who's going to make some bold decisions and make some people unhappy. We just spoke about Arsenal. Arteta kicked his captain out of the club because he was causing issues. People questioned it at the time, but look at the improvement they've made. Whoever, whether Ranić carries on or whether they bring someone in next year, they've got some tough decisions to make. But if they get them right and they stick by them. It could be for the best for because, because on paper they they literally do have one of the best squads in you know in, in the league. Backing, especially going forward, they've got, they've probably got the best forward line of any team. Yeah, in your league. And it, like you said, is something's not. I, I I personally don't think that they'll give him the job. I I, I can't see. It. I think there's. No. There's been t- too many failures since he took over. Um, there's been too much unrest. I don't, you know, I, I, I still think they're holding out for Pochettino, but I, you know, it's, it's, it's like you said, it's, someone has to go in there with authority and, and, you know, start giving them what for because at the moment they just look like 11 spoiled children on the pitch. Yeah. You know, not playing for the, the badge. 
like you said, imagine that was Fergie. My God, you wouldn't have lasted two seconds on that pitch if Fergie was there. They would have played again. None of them. And and the thing with those teams as well, I know it was different in the Premier League back then, but he had a core of a squad that stuck together for quite a long time. Yeah. You could pretty much pick maybe eight or nine out of the 11 almost every week. There'd be a couple of positions that he'd rotate. But at the minute, I'm looking, especially at their defence, they call it a back four, sometimes a back five. I wouldn't know who they were going to pick on a week-by-week basis. And and if I don't know that as someone watching football, it can't have a good impact on the team. Because if they don't know who they're playing with every single week, there's obviously not much chemistry there. We, so I think that's a, that is a part of it as well. You know, you pick, you do pick players based on form. I understand that, but, but you've got you to know, give people a run together in order to get that form. But just lastly, the the thing is, they've started playing this Alanga guy now, right? Because you know he has played, he has put some half decent performances. Yeah. But there is something fundamentally wrong when he is starting over Rashford. And I think it's clear to see that something is definitely not right there. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, I, I know they, they're all for picking their youth team and I commend them for that. But when probably one of the best players to come out of your youth team for a decade isn't starting behind, uh, I don't know how old Alangra is, 18, 19. about 18 or 19, isn't he? Yeah, something, something is... is going on behind the scenes there. Um, yeah, and they've spent a lot of money in those areas as well. And I know Sancho scored at the weekend, but his form hasn't been great. And there's been times when he's been in and out of the side. And um, yeah, it's just none of it is really good for consistency. And I think that's what they need at the minute. Yeah. Cool. That's not going to go well. I, I think most Man United fans would probably agree with what we just said, to be fair. I was about to say we probably would be very happy, but... Um, I think it's clear as day um, that I don't think many people will disagree with what we just said. But that is the end of Talking Points and the end of part one. Coming up in part two, we've got Wonders of White and Liam's mastermind quiz on Chelsea, which hopefully isn't going to make me look completely stupid. He'll be back in part two. Welcome back to part two of You From The Sideline podcast. I am just going to give you a little update on Villa because obviously we had an incredible win this weekend. So it would be rude of me not to talk about it. Um, 4-0 against Southampton, who have notoriously been a difficult side for us to play against, especially at Villa Park over the years. Um, Probably one of the best individual performances I've seen from a Villa player certainly for a long time, if not ever, uh, with Coutinho, who just absolutely ran the show. It's, from a footballing perspective, nice to see him happy playing his football again. And from a Villa's perspective, it's obviously great to see him happy again because he puts in performances like that. So creative, sets up a couple of goals. He could have had a hat-trick himself, obviously only got one in the end. But overall, one of the most pleasing performances I've probably seen since that Liverpool game where we won 7-2 that I never mentioned. Um, 
but yeah, great to watch. Great goals. Didn't really look like conceding, which um, obviously has been our problem the last few weeks. Looks like we've shored it up a little bit defensively. Callum Chambers was probably one of the passes of the season from a Villa perspective with the outside of his foot from a centre-half. I think if Virgil van Dijk did that, they'd be raving about it for years to come. Um, so, yeah, really pleasing to keep a clean sheet, especially we had um, Dinia out as well. So Ashley Young came in at left-back. Uh, Consul was out, so Chambers came in. So I wasn't anticipating... Um, it to be as, as as maybe as simple as it was in the end. Um, and it was also good to see Douglas Louise on the score sheet for the first time in God knows how long because he's had say, quite yeah. a bit of stick recently. So, uh, yeah, did you catch the highlights by any chance, Chris? Yeah, I saw, I saw, the, I saw the highlights. Um, Some good I goals. I have to agree with, yeah, like you said, Callum Chambers' ball um, was probably one of the passes of the season from a Villa point of view. Um, you know, and yeah, he's, he's just Ollie Watkins getting on the score sheet. Danny Ings, he assisted two, I believe, yeah, and scored one. Yeah. Um, from from our point of view, I think now it's about consistency because now we know that that kind of performance is is out there. Fair, we can yeah. get it. It'll be doing it on a regular basis, and you know, two wins in a row for us is. We're on. We're looking up again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. No one Careful. against me. That that's our problem this year. We win a game and then we lose the next one. And um, if we can get a bit of a run together, maybe top half is on. Maybe who knows? Yeah, but who knows? Who knows? Um, but yeah, well, I'll quickly talk about well, pretty much the same result for Chelsea, wouldn't it? Yeah. Really? So it's four 0 as well. Um, Burnley are always a difficult side to break down. Um, found that out in the first half and to be fair like Burnley played pretty well first half they had a good couple of chances as well they, to be fair they were probably the better side first half um, and then you know came out Reese James scored and then it was just it was just fun from then on for the Chelsea players as Burnley's head just dropped and you know it one came two and then came three in pretty quick succession it's good to see Kai Havertz get on the score sheet twice again um but yeah overall it's good to see Reese James back I think we've missed him terribly mm. um I say that we haven't really lost that many games you know I know we lost the league cup but in 90 minutes, we gave a pretty decent performance for ourselves. But, um, you know, for me, again, you know, Lukaku on the bench didn't come on. You brought Werner on. Um, but, yeah, I think I think from Havertz's point of view, we, needed, we need someone who's going to score goals. And he's the only one at the moment of the sort of front players that it looks like he's, he's actually capable of actually scoring a goal. Um just sad, really, because I'm not sure what's going on with Lukaku. I don't know whether he's being rested or because um, we have got quite a few games coming up. We've got, weirdly, we're playing Norwich Thursday and then we've got Newcastle and then we've got Champions League next week. Um, but sort of like our next run of games in the league are Norwich, Newcastle, <coughs> Brentford, Southampton, Leeds. And then we've got West Ham, Everton, Wolves, Man United and Watford. So, you know, there's definitely a potential three points from at least, I'd say, six, seven of those games. Um, yeah. 
But like I said earlier, we've got to be careful of Arsenal because they are slowly but surely, you know, they could easily reduce that gap. So, Yeah, it, it is a shame for Lukaku because I think every Chelsea fan wanted it to work, but it really, again, it's not, it's behind it's, the scenes, but it's not working, is it? Yeah, yeah. I, I just don't think the way that we play at the moment suits his style. Um and it was the same, to be honest, when he was there originally at Chelsea. He he did struggle then as well. Um because, you know, he I think he wants to be the focal point of attack, but we need someone that can bring the ball down, hold it, and distribute it left or right for, for you know, players like Pulisic and Havertz and Werner, you know, to run on to. And I just don't think that he, he wants to do that. I don't think that's who he wants to be as a as a player. So but you know, if we can keep winning by, you know, 4-0 <laughs> every game, that would be yeah, nice. Um, yeah, but, it's, you know, n- nice to keep a clean sheet as well. Um, we used to keep a lot of them, but not so many anymore. But mm. anyway, we'll, um, we'll move on uh, to the Wonders of White. Uh, some stats for you here, Liam. So the first, I don't know why, but they seem to, the first couple of seem to be Liverpool themed. Which is a bit annoying. Um, so only Liverpool have won more points this calendar year in the Premier League than Newcastle. Right, uh, like we, like we spoke spoke earlier about Newcastle and how well they've been doing. Yeah. That, that goes to show you in the form table they are second currently. Yeah. This one blew my mind, I, and I've I've had to verify it, and I can't see that it's not true. Um, Thank so, you. So it says that Van Dyke has never lost a game at Anfield in the Premier League. That's got to go back some way. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, well, he's been there for, what, five, four or five years? But then I thought, well, he was actually injured for all of last season, wasn't he? Yeah, he so was. So he did miss a year, and, you know, Liverpool did go on that quite good run of home games. But I couldn't, I literally, I... I I've I've seen it in two, three different places, so I'm going to say it's true. Um, Chelsea are the first team since 2015 to score three goals in the opening ten minutes of the second half. Um, that was Man City back in 2015, did that. That's a good one. Yeah. And last but not least, we're going to Spain. Spaniel. Um, so, I don't know if this, this will seem strange to you but it did to me it caught my eye so um, Iago Aspas scored his first injury time goal for Celta Vigo at the weekend he's, that was his 130th goal for the club but that was the first time he's ever scored in injury time yeah that's uh, I mean the fact that he's got 130 goals you know purely based on his time in Liverpool is astonishing to be honest he just... <laughs> he's a good player he's a good player <laughs> over there yeah and he was obviously the best kept secret at Liverpool at the time because he just he never played when he did. Yeah. It. But um, yeah, that's quite a stat for 130 goals and and never scored past did. 90 minutes. Yeah. Until until the weekend, um, which I believe they did actually win. I think it was the winning goal as well. I think they picked Mallorca. Okay, right. Oh, I know what's coming up next. <laughs> Are you ready for this? Go on then. It's your it. Are we calling it a special edition? Uh, Maybe it's like yeah. a special edition of making me look silly. <laughs> it's it's not so bad. So this is a quiz all about Chelsea. Um, so we're, we're going to 
we're going to do this as though it's your mastermind specialist. <laughs> I've got 10 questions on Chelsea. Luckily for you, um, I couldn't be bothered to research all the way back to Chelsea's early existence. So I've just based it on the Premier League era, which I know will annoy some older listeners of the podcast who constantly remind me on Twitter, football did start before 1992. In this case, it didn't. So, um, Chelsea quiz, 10 questions. Are you ready, Chris? I'm not sat in like the black leather chair, but I'm sat on like a stool. But you I have to do. Close your eyes and imagine. Uh, there's not going to be any time limit to this, so I'm going to let you okay. take as much time as you like. So right. there's no there's no beeps and no I've started, so I'll finish. I'm just going to read ten questions, see how many you get. So on, then. question number one, nice and easy one to begin with. Who is Chelsea's all-time Premier League top goal scorer? Well, it's Frank Lampard. Correct. One point. Frank Lampard, 147 goals. Question number two. Roman Abramovich took full ownership of Chelsea in July 2003, but who was his first official signing for £6 million from West Ham? Oh. From West Ham. It was indeed. Six million pounds. Because uh, uh, oh, oh, we've bought a few from West Ham. I am going to go because I can't remember. Uh, Glenn Johnson? No. Correct. It, it is, is Glenn Johnson. Glenn it was, Johnson. It was either Glenn Johnson or Joe Carl. Uh, I yeah. can't remember. Six it is indeed Glenn Johnson, oh, who uh, I don't think he played too much for you and then went on got, to Liverpool. Got injured, I think. Yeah. yeah. Number three, this one is going to make you angry. Chelsea were famously knocked out of the Champions League semi final by Barcelona in 2009 after a controversial performance by a referee. Can you tell me what the name of this referee is? Oh my god, Liam. <laughs> sure, you remember the game? And I'm sure you can well, tell me all about it. I remember it because Ballet chased him halfway off the pitch. He did indeed. Can you remember the name of the Oh, uh, no. I, I, uh, no, I'm not going to be able to tell you. I would say that he's... I remember he was bold and I remember Ballet shouting at him. Like a lot, and it was the same game that Drogba swore on. Do you remember when he? Did at the end. Yeah, yeah. I don't know his name. The referee was called Tom Henning of Rado. Yeah, I knew he had a stupid name. Flash from the past. Stupid, stupid name for a stupid referee. (laughs) We were rolled that game. I remember that. I remember watching that. There was about six penalties that (sighs) were. I'll move on quickly before I get more. I'll move on to to stop making me so angry. So, question number four: Jose Mourinho was sacked for the first time by Chelsea in September 2009, but who replaced him as manager? In 2009, I want to. Say it was inter. No, was it interim? I've got two names. I'm not too sure. I've got two names. Was it his first? So, when was it? Is 
So September 2009, so he was sacked for the first time in September 2009, and it's his replacement that I'm after. So after him, because Scolari took charge, but it wasn't him. I don't think it was him. I think he was... No, I know. I think, is it Avram Grant? Correct. It is indeed Avram Grant. Well done. Um, that was a bit of a blast from the past. I'd forgotten all about him being Chelsea manager. Um, anyway, question number five. Chelsea won the double in 2010, finishing top of the league and winning the FA Cup. But who did they beat 1-0 in the FA Cup final in May 2010? Oh, my word. This is the point where you say, we've won too many trophies, Liam, and I can't remember. I get really <laughs> jealous. <laughs> Oh, it was not to beat Everton two one. I think that was four. It was probably the worst FA Cup final since Chelsea beat Aston Villa one nil <laughs> in two thousand. To be honest, uh, the only other team I know that they beat was Portsmouth. Correct. It was indeed Portsmouth. Harry Redknapp's Portsmouth, I believe. Uh, and then I think, didn't Portsmouth win it the next year? I think. Didn't they beat Cardiff in the final? I can't remember now. Um, anyway, question number six. So you're doing well. You've got four out of five so far. Question number six. As of this season, who is Chelsea's longest serving player? So that is just of the current group. As who of is, this season. Who is your longest serving player that is currently... Oh. It will be. Uh, are we saying does academy count? No, I don't believe it does. Okay. Aspilicueta. Correct. Cesar Aspilicueta. Yeah, I was just checking because Loftus Cheek. I know he's been there yeah. for a long, long time. Okay. No. Yeah. Dave. Um, I think he was number three on the list, and I think number two was Andreas Christensen, which um, I, I always forget he's been there so long because he was out of the phone. Yeah, he's leaving, looks like, as well. Yeah. No, uh, as he joined just after we won the Champions League. <coughs> yeah, it must have been, yeah, 2012, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, and he, he, he cost Chelsea like seven or eight mil, I think. Absolute bargain. Yeah. Um, question number seven. In the summer of 2016, Chelsea sold Mo Salah for £14.5 million to which Italian club? So you have to. Yeah. I just wanted to add this in because... You've played for for Fiorentina and Roma, but I don't know who we... we, Did we... Roma. Roma. Correct. It was Roma. You 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 sold... he, he, played for he did, yeah. I think he yeah. did for Fiorentina. But I, just, I just wanted to point out that you sold the best player in the world for £14.5 million. Pounds. So, um, just wanted to make you feel a little bit bad there. But, uh, well done. Yeah. Six out of seven. <laughs> so far, three well You do realise that we sold Kevin De Bruyne as well. Yeah, it could have been him, to be fair. I could okay. have chosen I could have chosen a couple. But, okay. yeah. You just need to get better with your transfer policy, to be honest. So, um, in the summer of 2017, Chelsea broke their transfer fee record to sign which Spanish striker? 
Why has my mind gone blank? In the summer of 2017, Chelsea broke their transfer fee record to sign which Spanish striker? Oh, I know. Uh, it's, it's the donkey, Morata. Is Morata in it? It is Alvaro oh, Morata. Yes, God. well done. I don't need to be reminded of that either. <laughs> yeah. We can we can carry on. Uh, question number nine, then. In that case, going a bit further back in time for this one. So, who was Chelsea's first winner of the Football Writers Footballer of the Year award, winning it in 1996-1997 season? Blimey, 96, 97. So the year we won the FA Cup. Oh, who oh did it? I don't. I have no idea. Ruth Hullet. No, it was Chelsea legend Gianfranco Zola. Oh, I thought you might get that one, to be honest, because Gianfranco Zola is the first player that I think of for Chelsea before Abramovich came in, because mm. um, he was great back in the day. You're the, you're the only player anyone ever remembers yeah. before Abramovich. Basically, yeah. Uh, final question then. Yeah. Uh, there are two possible answers to this one. If you get both, I'll give you two <laughs> points. If you only get one, I'll give you one point. So, okay, go on then. So Frank Lampard has scored four goals in a match twice, but can you name either of the other two players to achieve the same feat? And to make it a little bit easier for you, one player did it against Barnsley in 1997, and the other player did it against Coventry in the year 2000. Any thoughts? Okay, so when did you say 2000 and... So, uh, one player scored four goals against Barnsley in 1997, and the other player scored four goals against Cov City in 2000. Oh, my word. You can have both if you want, but I will accept one for a point. So in 2000, there couldn't have been that many. So 2000, you're sort of, it would have had to probably be a midfielder or a striker. The only strikers I remember from that sort of era are Good Johnson, but I don't remember him scoring. Then we had Hasselbank and we had Flo, Zola. I don't remember anyone scoring four in a game. Um... And then you said one was in 90, what, 90? In 97. Again, that would have been... I can feel the cogs wearing away. <laughs> I will guess. I, I, I have no idea. I, I'm going to say Tor Andrew Flo and Hasselbank. You've got one out of the two. Ooh. So that is... Who was it? Hassel, was it Hasselbank? Uh, Hasselbank is correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm just adding up your totals. So, so it wasn't flow. So if it so, wasn't, so in '97, if it wasn't flow, it would have been either Zola or Viali. Could have been Viali, I guess, but I, I don't think it would have been. Probably is it Zola. Shall I, I put you out of your misery? You've literally just said him, Gianluca Viali. Blimey. Gianluca Viali scored four goals against Barnsley in 1997. But yes, you were right with Hasselbank, so I'll, I'll give you one point for that. So you have got eight out of ten points. So oh, much that's better. Nice yeah. Congratulations, you do know Chelsea. I think I might do one for you next week for Villa. Are you going to give me a Villa mastermind quiz? Yeah, I think it's only fair. Nice. I like that. No, I'm all I'm all up for that. 
Any um, chance I get to answer questions on Villa? Okay. So I'll do ten questions on Villa, and I'll do it the same as what you did. I'll make sure it's Premier League, so don't worry about the championship years that you had. Oh, oh thanks for reminding me of those. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Very kind. Uh, I felt like you, you put a few questions in there that you didn't have to. Yeah, there were there were some tough ones in there. Yeah. Um, I'll give, yeah, I'll give you that. So well, eight out of ten is a very good score on that. I'll do the. I'll do the. Before we go, I've, I've got a who am I again? Um, now, as with last week's, this this player. Um, so last week I did a sort of theme to it. There's another theme this week. Um, so this player actually scored in the Premier League this weekend. Oh, okay. And I think you're gonna get it because. <laughs> <laughs> I just think you're going to get it, and you'll probably get it. So the clubs that the player played for is Aberdeen, Bournemouth, Ipswich on loan, Bournemouth, and blank is his new club. Ooh. So it's Aberdeen, Bournemouth, Ipswich on loan, and then Bournemouth, and then his club he is at now, but I can't give that to you because it will just give it away. Okay. Well, the only the only thing I keep coming back to is we mentioned Ryan Fraser playing for Bournemouth, but I don't ever remember him playing for Ipswich, and I don't know where they got him from. It could have been Aberdeen. He is Scottish, I, isn't he? So I have, I have, I can give you one clue. I've, I have written one clue down. Yeah. And the clue is that he was at Bournemouth for seven seasons in total. So that does sound about right, because he was there, I think he was there in sort of League One championship days. So that does sound about right, and he scored this weekend. I mean, Callum Wilson is injured, so it's not him. I'm just trying to think of prolific former scorers. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to say, because he's Scottish, it's got to be Ryan Fraser. I'm guessing he played for Aberdeen, so I'm going with Ryan Fraser. Okay, so his club that he is currently at is Newcastle, and you are correct. It is Ryan Fraser, because we spoke about him for at least five minutes earlier, and you mentioned his name about ten times. I was thinking, it's not going to go well. On the brain, so well done me for predicting that. Uh, But yeah, uh, so it was Newcastle's Ryan Fraser, um, who scored this weekend. So that is the end of this week's podcast. Um, anything else, Liam? Just that I hope for another 4-0 win against Leeds this week. Um, I'm keeping everything crossed and I have every faith that we will do exactly the same. We've got two games until the next podcast. So we've got Norwich and then Newcastle. So I'm hoping to have eight goals and none conceded um, by the time we do the next podcast. Um, Just when you yeah. anything less. <laughs> Join us next week where we'll have more talking points from the weekend's games. Um, I'll have some more Wonders of White. And Liam will be sitting in the imaginary black leather chair as he gets his 10 questions all about Aston Villa. So we'll see you next week. <laughs>